all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Appreciate everyone for being here. All right. Well, tonight I want to start um, on what I think will be a two-week series about worship. Um, and that tonight is, uh, will be a fundamental lesson that I think most all of us know, uh, but it goes along with the idea that I want to reinforce fundamentals with our children especially, but it's good for us all to be uh, reminded of the things that we know already. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, we read about the condition that people were going to get into where their worship was all out of whack. And I think it's what we see in the religious world around us today. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I think we see in the religious world, sadly, this phenomenon going on where people are worshiping themselves. They're worshiping their desires, their likes, their interests, their desire to be entertained, instead of worshiping God the way that He wants to be worshipped. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at some details as to how that's happening in the religious world around us and the extreme that people are going to, to worship God, uh, or what they claim to worship God, but how they're worshiping themselves actually by the perversions that they've put, made in the worship to God. It includes such things as indoor fireworks, bull riding during their worship services, the preacher floating out of the ceiling, suspended by wires down to the stage so that he can give his sermon. All kinds of crazy things. It's not because they want to worship God. They're worshiping themselves. But let's start to this evening by reminding ourselves what the Bible tells us about New Testament worship, the kind of worship that God wants. And kids especially, pay attention to this. Because we want to make sure that we're worshiping God the way that He wants to be worshipped. We want Him to be pleased with our worship. And the Bible is very clear that not all worship is acceptable, acceptable to Him. The modern idea in our society today is if you call it worship, if you slap the word worship on it, then it's good and God will be happy with it. Just do whatever you want to do and call it worship. And that it's up to us to determine how we want that worship to look. But God is very clear that not all worship is acceptable to Him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus said, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only thou shalt serve. Jesus says we have to worship God. That needs to be the object of our worship. And Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, that it is possible to worship God in vain. In, order, in other words, worship God in such a way that it makes no, no is not of effect. It doesn't accomplish what we want it to accomplish. In Matthew 15, verse 8, beginning, This people draweth nigh to me with their lip, mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. When I worship God the way that I want to worship Him, Jesus says that results in vain worship. When I teach doctrines of men or ideas of men, when I worship in ways that men have formulated and come up with, that's vain worship according to Jesus, Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. And so just as we start the idea this evening, we understand that the Bible is very clear that not every worship is acceptable to God. So it is imperative then that we understand what kind of worship does God want. God tells us that two elements are required in order for our worship to be acceptable to Him. 
Our worship needs to have two characteristics, and those characteristics are found in the verse, and they that worship Him must worship her. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have two components of our worship that are mentioned here. We must worship God in spirit with the right attitude, with the right motivation, with the right heart. We have to also worship Him in truth. We need to worship Him as has been instructed by the Word. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now in Matthew chapter 6, we have people, I believe, who were worshiping God. But their uh, worship lacked the right spirit. They were doing the things that God told them to do. But I want to tell you, it, they weren't doing them in the right way. And they didn't have the right attitude. In Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 2. Matthew 6, verse 2. When thou, when thou, uh, therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. They may appear to men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. These people were fasting. These people were praying. These people were doing their alms. They were doing them with the right heart and the right motive, were they? Their motive wasn't to worship God. Their motive was so that they could be worshipped, so that they could be admired, so that they would be getting the praise of men. They weren't doing things in the right way. They didn't have the right motivation. Two elements are required to be pleasing to God in our worship, spirit and in truth. So not every worship is acceptable. Our worship has to have the right attributes, the right elements, spirit and in truth. And so what are the acts of worship that are authorized in the New Testament? And it's very clear that we know that we are under the New Testament covenant, the new covenant. The covenant that Jesus put into effect when he died on the cross. We're not worshiping God the way they worshiped him in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're worshiping him as he told us to worship things in the New Testament. And kids, there are five acts, five things that God told us to do in our worship to him. You probably know them. You could come up with that list by just thinking about what our worship involves here. Let's look at what the scriptures tell us about that. The first of these is singing. God tells us that he wants us to worship him in song. Verses that you need to remember for this are verses like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart, in your heart to the Lord. We're to worship God with music. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says that we're to sing. And so if I want my worship to be in truth, according to what God has told me, I'm going to sing. That's what I'm going to do. That's what it says. We want our worship to be in spirit and truth, and so I'm going to sing to God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says this as well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'm to sing. God wants me to sing to Him. We need to understand that. So if I want to worship God in truth, 
I'm going to sing. But remember, we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. How can I do that as I sing? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15 says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. I'm going to sing with the right thoughts. I'm not just going through the motion. I'm not just singing the songs. When, when Brother Mark gets up here to lead our song tonight, we're not just going to be going along with the words. We need to have our minds engaged. If we're going to be doing this in the right way with the right attitude. And we're not singing so other people are like, wow, what a beautiful voice he or she has. What a wonderful singer they are. No, we're doing this for God's glory, not for the praise of men, but to worship God. And so we're going to do it the right way, with the right motivation. We're going to worship God in spirit and in truth in our singing. Well, there's one act. You can think of some others maybe that we've already done tonight. How about prayer? We're to pray when we come together. In Acts chapter 20, verse 36, we see Christians praying together as Paul is with the elders in Eph from Ephesus. When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Christians prayed together. We pray together in our worship. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15 says this as well. Uh, when I, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. And so we're praying together in our worship to God. We're going to do that in the way that God has instructed us to worship, or to pray, I'm sorry. We're going to pray with the right uh, understanding. We're going to do it with the right attitude. You know, it's possible to not worship God with the right attitude, not worship Him in, with the right spirit in our prayer. Look at James chapter 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3 says, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. I could be praying to God in a way that doesn't reflect the right spirit. If I'm praying to God because I'm greedy or because I want something just for me, for my lust, my desires, that's not going to have the right spirit, the right attitude. I'm not worshiping God in spirit, in truth, and in, in my prayer that way. God wants us to sing. He wants us to pray. He also wants our worship to include teaching. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Paul is with the disciples there on the first day of the week in the verse that Joseph read for us this morning as he led our thoughts in the Lord's Supper in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. The part about continuing to midnight is just one of those um, side details. It's not a binding requirement that we have to preach until midnight. Uh, but Paul preached in their worship service. Their worship service included preaching. In Acts chapter 10, preaching is included here as uh, Peter comes to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, where he said, Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee immediately. Therefore I send unto thee. Now it's done well that thou art come. Now therefore we are all present before, here before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Cornelius was interested in hearing what Peter said to him. Our worship needs to be in spirit and in truth. Well, how is it in spirit then as we have our preaching? Our preaching must be in accordance with what God has said, isn't it? Cornelius was interested in it being just from what God said. 
We just want the Bible. We don't want men's thoughts and men think so. So our preaching is going to be in truth in that manner. But how about in our spirit? Well, Cornelius had the right attitude, didn't he? Cornelius wanted to hear all that God had for him. And as we listen to the preaching, as we worship God with preaching, our attitude needs to be we want to hear all that God has for us, just as Cornelius did, because we know it's his word, his will for us, and therefore we want to hear it all. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, those in Berea were commended because they wanted to hear it all. And they searched the scriptures. They had a noble spirit. But they also wanted to make sure that the preaching lined up with truth. In Acts 17, verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Spirit and truth involved here are those in Berea, right? They wanted the truth. And they had a noble mind. They wanted to hear it. 2 John verses 9 through 11 tell us the danger of having worship in the area of preaching that's not acceptable to God and how we can't have any fellowship with those who are not teaching the truth. 2 John 9 verse 11, Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. And so our preaching has to have both spirit and truth as we worship God with our teaching. So we worship God in five acts. Five acts, the first of those being singing, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, verse 16. We worship God with our singing. We worship God in praying, by praying together. And we worship God with our teaching or our preaching. We also worship God with our giving. This is an act of worship that is to occur on the first day of the week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. These people in the first century were giving of their means in worship to God. And they were doing so abundantly, generously, with the right attitude. They weren't begrudging the, the necessity to give. They wanted to give to God. And their giving was abundant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Every man according to, as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly of or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We're to be giving to God, and it's not a grudging thing. Kids, as you may give, if you maybe earn an allowance or have a job and you give, you shouldn't do so grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. That's for kids and grown-ups alike. We need to be giving cheerfully and not grudgingly. So, we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. In our giving, we're going to worship Him in spirit with the right attitude, generously, not grudgingly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, 1 beginning, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 tells us how we can worship in truth. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. How can I worship God in truth in my giving? Well, first off, I'm going to do it on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, we're to lay by in store. 
That's one way I do it in truth. I'm also going to do it in truth as by doing it as I've prospered. As I've prospered, we need to look back at how God has prospered us in the past week and give according to that. And we need to be considering all the ways that God has prospered us. Certainly our paycheck is one way that He's prospered us. But there may be other ways that He's prospered us as well. Maybe there's other things where we've benefited and we've gained from God. We ought to give account of those and give according to that as well. Maybe we were able to sell some property at a profit. That is certainly a, a gaining, and God has prospered us with that. We ought to consider that. Maybe we've had another, other windfalls and gifts and things like that, ways that we've been prospered. If we're going to worship God in truth, we're going to hear it in truth according to as we've prospered. And so we're going to worship God in spirit and truth as we give. And so there's Fort Supper. We've done that today as well. In, first, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There you see, you see this here. You see the preaching was concluded here, the apostles' doctrine. You see prayers were included. They were also breaking bread. And that, I believe, is a reference to the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 through 29, tell us about this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I'm going to do this worship of God and of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to do it in spirit and truth. John 4, 24 tells me I have to do that. Well, how do I do it in truth? Well, I'm going to take the bread and the fruit of the vine. You know, there's some groups who have changed the elements of the Lord's Supper. They put things like pizza on the Lord's Supper. Is that in worshiping God in truth? No, that's not worshiping God in truth. And we're going to worship God in spirit with the Lord's Supper. How am I going to do that? Well, it tells me what I'm going to do here. I'm going to examine myself. I'm going to do so in a worthy manner. I've got to do so with the right spirit. Acts 20, verse 7 tells me another way that I need to do it in truth. Acts 20, verse 7, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. I'm going to do it on the first day of the week. Because that's what we understand first century Christians did. And we know that that received the approval of God. And so if I'm going to do it in truth, I'm going to do it like I see it being done in the first century. I'm going to do it on the first day of the week. I'm not going to offer the Lord's Supper on Saturday. I'm not going to offer the Lord's Supper on Monday. I'm not going to take of it on Monday or any other day of the week. I'm only going to do it on the first day of the week because that's the only day of the week that I can read about first century Christians taking the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I have received the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. There's again, spirit and truth in the Lord's Supper presented in this passage. The fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread are mentioned. I'm going to do that if I'm going to do it in truth. 
and the right spirit, I pray, as I do in remembrance of Jesus. Do it in remembrance of me. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper as I do in all of my worship with the right spirit. So we see the five acts of worship as we read about in the New Testament. Singing, prayer, teaching, giving, the Lord's Supper, kids. Again, these are fundamental things that we need to understand that God wants us to do for Him, uh, to do towards Him in worship to Him. I also want to tell you tonight that worship has to be done in the proper manner. When we come together for our worship, God is interested in our worship be done in the proper manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Our worship service needs to be done decently and in order. Now, the order is uh, somewhat flexible, right, as to how we do the order of things. But there needs to be order, and it needs to be decent, and it needs to be reverent, doesn't it? We're here to worship God. This is not like other events where we might just be here for having a good time and where it might be a little bit more uh, casual. Our worship needs to be done decently in order. Worship has to be done in the proper manner. The day when Christians worshiped God in the New Testament was the first day of the week. There are many who tell us that we need to be observing or we need to be worshiping God on Saturday, on the Sabbath day. And it is clear from the scriptures that we are not to be worshiping God on the Sabbath day the way they worshiped him in the Old Testament. Now, can we worship God on Saturday? We can. On those acts that aren't mentioned on the first day of the week, we can sing to God on Saturday. We can pray on Saturday. We can preach and teach on Saturday. The Lord's Supper and the collection, though, were given on the first day of the week. But we are not to worship God the way they did in the Old Testament on the Sabbath day. And I thought I'd spend a few minutes with you here at the end of the lesson reviewing reasons why we are not to be observing the Sabbath day in the New Testament dispensation. And I'm not going to step on yours too much, Joseph, uh, but quickly, uh, let's look at these. The observance uh, of the Sabbath day was mentioned in Exodus chapter 16, verses 21 through 30. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 21 through 30, that's the first mention of the Sabbath day. As the, the children of Israel were told to, to uh, uh, collect manna on, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 21 beginning. That's the first mention of the Sabbath day observance. It was given at Sinai, not at the beginning. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, Thou, came, thou camest down upon Mount Sinai, and speakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and made known to them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and law by the hand of Moses thy servant. They were given the Sabbath day at Mount Sinai. Ezekiel 20, verses 10 through 12, say the same thing, that it was a sign between them and them alone. And it was only for the Jews. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 3 and verse 15 tells us that the command was given to the Jews only, not to the general population. And there were strict rules for observing the Sabbath. They were told that they had, could do their work there, but they, uh, they could not do their work on the Sabbath day in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Exodus chapter 16, verses, verse 23 uh, says that they couldn't bake on the Sabbath day. They couldn't start a fire. They couldn't bake. And if you look at your uh, appliance manual, if you're really bored one night and you're having trouble sleeping, pull out your appliance manual and read it. 
You'll see that many appliances have a Sabbath mode on them. You can't bake food on Saturday, but you can warm it up according to the Jews, Jewish rules. And so you combine that with Exodus chapter 3, 35, verse 3, you shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations on the Sabbath day. They believe that if you turn the oven on, you're kindling a fire. But if it's on already, then you're okay. And so there's a mode on your oven where you can turn it on and it'll stay on for a whole day. So you can go Friday night before sun sets, before the Sabbath starts, you can turn on your oven and it'll be on at the right temperature. And if you've got food that you've already cooked, you can put it in that oven or on that stovetop and warm it up. That way you're not baking and you're not starting a fire and you're observing the Sabbath according to Jews. There were strict rules about the Sabbath, and that's important because people who want us to keep the Sabbath today do not follow these rules. They follow the Sabbath in name only many chances, or maybe they do certain things where they don't work, but they're not following all the rules of the Sabbath. And if we're going to follow it, we've got to follow it all. In Jeremiah 17, verse 21, Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it into the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. They can't, couldn't do work. They couldn't bear burdens. Uh, they had to offer sacrifices. And on the Sabbath day, Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10, two lambs of the first year without spot and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and the drink offering thereof. This is the burn offering of every Sabbath beside the continual burn offering and his drink offering. They were to be offering sacrifices on the Sabbath day. People who are, are observing the Sabbath today are not offering sacrifices. They couldn't buy or sell on the Sabbath day, Nehemiah 10, verse 31. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 14, if you did not observe the Sabbath the way you were supposed to, if you violated the Sabbath, you were to be killed. Exodus 31, verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiled it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And finally, the Sabbath has been done away. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, tells us about God making a new covenant with his people. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, tells us that that new covenant has been made. And the Old Testament, the old Sabbath was part of that Old Testament covenant. Finally, let's, let's put... Uh, several passages together here to understand that this was part of the Old Testament covenant. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, we know that passage as being the Ten Commandments. You remember Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments written on those two tablets of stone. When he came down, he saw the children of Israel worshiping an idol. What did he do with those tablets of stone? He broke them. God said, make two more tablets of stone and come up and see me on the mountain again. And he went up with, him, with them again in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 28 beginning. Exodus 34 beginning, verse 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. 
So when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put on the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So Moses got the Ten Commandments. They were written on stone. One of the Ten Commandments was the Sabbath to keep it holy. And when he came down, his face was shining. And they said, we don't want to look at that. They put a veil on his face so they wouldn't see the shine. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 6 beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The Ten Commandments was a part of the Old Testament covenant that was temporary in nature. It was temporary from its onset. It was not a perpetual set of instructions for people throughout time. The Ten Commandments were part of the Old Testament covenant, and that covenant has been done away. And so our observance should be on the Sabbath day, uh, not, I mean, sorry to be on Sunday, not on the Sabbath day. Well, I hope that's been a good refresher for us, especially for our kids. Five acts of worship. We need to be singing, praying, teaching or preaching, giving of our means, observing the Lord's Supper. Those last two, giving of our means and, of the Lord's, and taking of the Lord's Supper, occur on the first day of the week, not on Saturday. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth because we know, Jesus has been clear, that our worship can be vain or useless, not pleasing to God. We want to make sure that God is pleased with our worship because He's the object of our worship. We are not. Our thoughts, our desires, our likings, our entertainment, that's not what worship is about. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 talks about those who worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. We're seeing that in the religious world around us. Lord willing, next Sunday night, we'll look at some examples of that and look at the, why that is flawed. And surprisingly, people who engage in that kind of worship today, they're starting to see that it's flawed and it doesn't work and that it was a wrong and bad idea because it has got the wrong focus. And hopefully we'll look at some of that next week. What about you tonight? Are you a Christian? Have you submitted to, to God and Christ and His will for you to become a Christian? If not, you need to hear God's Word and believe it. Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of sins. Here this evening, you've become a Christian. You're not living like you should. And you need to make correction. Would you let us know if we can help while we stand and while we sing?